ESPN 97.5 and 92.5 proudly present The Killer Bees. Definitely a fan of The Killer Bees. Don't sweat the technique. Live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios, here comes the fastest three hours in Houston sports radio. Here's Joe Blank and Jeremy Branham. Oh, hell yeah. You about to get all stung up. Ooh, what up, H-Town? Hey, how we doing? He's Blank. I'm Branham. It's Joe George behind the glass, our assistant to the regional manager, and our Queen Bee. It is, uh, it's baseball season, by the way. I'm not in studio today, uh, full disclosure. Uh, I'm out at uh, Schrader Park in Houston. Opening day in college baseball for all of those that are interested. But pitchers and catchers reporting, uh, hitters, I guess, will report next week. Some are already there. Like, the overachievers are there. Uh, Jake Myers is there. Chaz McCormick is there. Yiner's a catcher, so he had to report because he's a catcher. And pitchers and catchers report early. There's a lot of guys that are there. Jeremy Pena's playing in the Cactus Jack softball thing yesterday. But so is Lance McCormick. Colors and Lance McCullers was at West Palm Beach, Florida today. That was nice to see. But it's baseball season. Uh, it's, it's baseball season. Hope Springs Eternal, all of that stuff. Spring training is underway. The Astros will be playing games uh, here pretty soon. We've already had tons of Astro news. We've had shoulder inflammation. We've had a new closer name. So lots of stuff has been, has been going on, which begs the question, What's your favorite spring uh, spring training storyline? 713-780-3776. Also, uh, who's your favorite spring training player to watch, or why are you watching that guy, or the guy that has the most importance to you? Where do you stand on that, Blankers? What's your favorite spring training storyline? I think the first one to me, Jeremy, is I'm, I'm just watching center field really closely. Uh, uh, you know, I've been adamant about the fact that I'd rather have Chaz in center field. I know that Paul had thrown out there that, Dubon might be his answer. To me, I prefer Chaz in center, but I, that would mean that they have a better alternative in left. But I'm curious to see how Jake Myers is, how he looks, how he plays. Is he going to be the same Jake? Is he going to be the Jake that we knew before the injuries? So I am definitely dialed into the, I guess, I don't even know if it's a competition because right now they're planning on Chaz in left and, and Jake in center. I'm just curious to kind of see center field and Jake Myers. Yeah, I feel like that job's already been won. What's your favorite uh, offensive stat? What, what what offensive number do you look at that is your favorite when it comes to valuing an offensive player? I guess now it's kind of graduated to to OPS, right? That's my favorite. I mean, everybody has their own. Like some people put a lot of you know stock on you know batting average or on base. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people you know like traditional like homers. Dusty Baker liked like the counting stats. He liked guys who got RBIs. You know, right? And you know, depending on where you bat in the order, it kind of determines how many RBIs you get. Jay Myers and Mauricio Dubon really aren't that different offensively when you look at it from an OPS perspective. Now, now Dubon had a better year last year, was playing more often. Uh, Dubon had a 720 OPS last year. Myers was at 678. Like, that's that's better. But when you look at their career, now Myers was playing intermittently. He was kind of in and out of the lineup. Uh, Jake's career OPS, 675, which is actually a little bit less than it was last year. Dubon's 680. So, like, from an offense, depending on how you look at it, uh, from an offensive point of view, Jake Myers, career-wise, has been right there with Mauricio Dubon. Now, factoring in the defense, I think Jake Myers has a lot more range than Mauricio Dubon. I think Dubon's fine in center field. I think he takes kind of awkward angles. I don't think he has nearly as much of the range as Jake Myers does. Some of the advanced stuff would tell you the exact same thing. Now, Dubon has the arm advantage over Jake Myers. How much does that come into play in a center field? Who knows? I think that they're very comparable players, but from an everyday center field point of view, like let me, let's see what Jake Myers has for the first three months of the year. Part of that is also I 
believe Mauricio Dubon's value is that he can fill in for anybody. And if you're using Mauricio Dubon as your starting center fielder, then who's your utility guy? Greg Kessinger. Mm-hmm. So I'm not a big fan of that. Um, the the Chaz in center field, like we, we've, we've discussed this in the past, I'm not a big fan of that either uh, because I don't want Jordan Alvarez to play much left field. And even if he is playing left field, okay, well then now who's your DH? Well, you know, Yiner Diaz is your DH. Okay, well that means Victor Caratini's catching. Is that a huge upgrade over Jake Myers offensively? And then Jake Myers gives you the plus defense in center field. So I, I don't like the domino effect. I'm okay with the roster that's currently constructed would Jake be in the center fielder? I don't really think that that much is going to be determined in spring training. I think they've made their mind up on that. Now, if he struggles in the first couple of months of the year, I can see them adding a bat that can play left field or DH, and then you move Chaz to center field that way. Yeah, I think that essentially, you know, that's I'm st- I'm watching it for the for the sole purpose of, uh, you know, me. I am not a huge believer in Jake Myers, and, and this is. I think, basically, in my opinion, this is the uh, this is my last chance. I, I would hope it's their last chance to say, let's see if Jake Myers can be our full-time center fielder. And then if it's the Jake Myers that I've seen that I've lost faith in, both offensively and defensively, I want to see if they're going, they would be willing to actually make a change and try and do something else, or are they just going to keep it in-house, internal, and like you mentioned, whether it be Dubon or Chaz or however they care to do it, you know, would they just kind of adjust internally? I mean, I think there's young players that you want to see at that position too, just to see what they have and what they can do. But to me, I'm watching Jake Myers and I'm watching center field closely. What do you, what is, does Jake defensively, is he capable in your mind of playing center field every day? Yeah, but see, the answer to that question flat out is yes, because we saw it when he first came up. Then we also saw him go through some injuries and some situations that kind of changed his aggressiveness and the way that he played center field, in my opinion. Mm. And then, obviously, I, I think I think uh, you talk about taking guy, sometimes taking some bad angles. You talk about a guy that looks apprehensive in the outfield. And, again, granted, he had injuries both going out on, into the wall and in to where he had a shoulder issue to where it looked like we talked about this. I, I thought that he changed his approach in a lot of ways. Yeah, to how but he had catches he after, after the that where he crashed into the wall. I just, I, I, my personal feeling is, is that he, he looked totally different than he did when he first came up after the injuries and what he had been through. Granted, some of that is is understandable because you know he suffered an injury and he went through some things. But overall, I'm curious to see if he can get back to that Jake Myers before the injuries, the way he played center field. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we saw some of that early. Uh, I, I think that he's. I mean, he's crashed into walls multiple times uh, since we've like brought that up in the past. So I, I mean, we differ there. It was it was a two part question though, because like mm-hmm. defensively, he's uh, to me he's a good defensive center fielder. To me, he's a really good uh, defensive center fielder. You think he's capable of manning center field uh, defensively on an off? Because like I think where he's going to where he's going to either like take over the full time center field role. Um, is going to come with his offense. Like, defensively, he's there. Everybody in, in the organization would tell you that. We might differ on how good of defense he plays, but capable to play center field. It's going to come down to offense for Jake Myers. So, knowing that he's, like, at least capable, we differ on the capability, but he's capable of playing center field defensively, what do you need to see from him offensively to, to be the full-time center fielder? Well, I, I just think, I think that in terms of his plate approach, uh, I think a lot of times, he, he looked like a deer in the headlights. I don't know that he had an approach. I think a lot of times he ends up getting beat hot by high fastballs. He get, To me, uh, I think that there's, a, as a center fielder, and, if, and Jake Myers' type center fielder, he's had pop in the past, but that was kind of rare compared to who he had been his entire career. 
I'd like him just to try and work on getting on base more. I'd like to see him kind of do some of the things that Chaz talked about that he'd worked on. Like, you know, instead of falling for and chasing a lot of bad breaking pitches on the outside corner and slow off speeds pitches, look to try to take them to right field. Look to try to do things to get on base. We know he's fast. We know that he can run. Well, it doesn't do you any good if you can't get him on base. And so I'd like to see him kind of dial it down to hone into to being kind of more of a, a base hit hitter that can get on base, set the table for others. And like you said, with the offense that they have, it's going to come down to how his offense plays into this lineup. And I would hope that he becomes more looking for, you know, hitting for average and trying to get on base. Then a lot of times I think he was, he was, he had a big swing trying to swing for extra base hits. Okay. So what, what kind of like, I'm, I'm with you on that. Like, I think that he's going to be in the bottom of the order, defensive minded mm-hmm. center fielder. Like I'm cool with him being an on base guy. Um, where, where at, like, where do you want that on base percentage to be? Like, what would you feel good with for him to be your everyday center fielder? I guess what major league average is in the se- the, the low low seven hundreds, but I would say oh, you're talking you're talking OPS. OPS. I, you, yeah, you're you're saying OPS. Yeah, what? But you said on base percentage. Okay, I, I don't know the exact percentage. I, I just I, I would like him to be a, a table setter a lot more and, and try and get on base a lot more consistently. Okay. Um. It doesn't really sound like what you, you know. You need like what you need to see out of him. It sounds to me is like more eye test from you, uh, which is fine. Like that. That's you know that's anybody's prerogative. Uh, for me, like because again, I think he's going to be if he makes it as an everyday center fielder, it's going to be about his his offense. Like he's capable of playing defensive in center field uh, right now, and I think he does it at a really high level. Um, like I, I look more at it from an OPS standpoint. Like it, whenever he got called up, his first few games after he played in forty nine games, it's more than a few. He was fine. Like he was really, really good. Like he was solid. If he could give you what he was before the injury, you would take that in a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. Two sixty average, three twenty three on base, seven sixty one OPS. Like that, he had an he had an OPS plus, which the average on that's one hundred of one hundred seven. So he was an above average offensive player in center field and played center field at a high level. Now, last year, 112 games, 341 plate appearances, was in and out of the lineup. His numbers weren't as good, and it was like his first full year back from the injury. 227 average, 296 on base. That needs to be north of 300 for me. And then he had a 678 OPS, 86 OPS plus. Because I think he's a really good defensive player. I think if Jake Myers is around a 100 OPS, and then the on-base percentage, I'm with you. Like, I, that needs to go up. It can't be under 300. I want it to be around 3. Like, I would like for it to be around 330, 340. But I can live with it at 320 if he's giving you a little bit of, a little bit of punch. So 320 on-base for me. Give me an OPS plus, you know, 95 because he's an above-average defender. So I can take a little bit below-average offense. Keep in mind, he's probably batting ninth for you. So that's all I need from Jake Myers. Like, I don't have these huge, lofty expectations. He doesn't have, like, a whole lot, from in my mind, to be the everyday center fielder. Just give me the defense that you play. Give me an OPS plus around 95. Give it, get on base 32% of the time. And he's an everyday center fielder for me. Yeah, okay. I mean, I think that we look similar and different, but at the same time, I think we're both expecting the same thing. Because I think the other thing is the microscope is also going to be on Chaz. Because Chaz then as the left fielder, if he's going to be the, the, the more everyday left fielder, that he's got to pick up where he left off last year. And, you know, look, I love Chaz's attitude, effort, and a whole lot about Chaz McCormick, but I think that he obviously had a career year last year, and I'm yeah. curious to see if he can do it again because every spot in that lineup, obviously they're 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 resting a lot of their laurels on their offense, and they can play defense. But this team, I, I need it to have the same kind of consistency offensively to score runs. And if you take Maldi out, 
I would hope the bottom of the lineup can get better, but I need Chaz to try and be in the ballpark pretty close to what he did a year ago if he's going to play left field every day. Yeah, kind of because yeah, he's playing the corner outfield spot. Mm-hmm. He needs to be the guy who he was last year and not the guy over the course of his career. Like 842 OPS from your left fielder, that that'll play. Mm-hmm. 786 OPS from your left fielder, like that's that's pretty good, but it's not you're not really winning there. You know what I mean? Like you're not you're not lapping the field. You're not top 5 in all of major league baseball. Uh, now you put that in center field, then you have an offense that that really really plays. I like this lineup. Now some things have to go your way, like Jose Abreu. I don't even need Jose Abreu to be prime Jose Abreu. I just need Jose Abreu to be kind of who he was in the final two months of the year, as opposed to the first yep. four months of the year. Yep. Uh, you know, Altuve's health. You know, Jeremy Pena. People look at Jeremy Pena's second year and they're like, oh, what a major disappointment. He was pretty similar to what he did in his first year. If you eliminate the playoffs, except he lost his lift, but he actually added plate discipline and he actually became a better contact hitter so I actually saw some signs last year that I liked from Jeremy Pena now you know I'd like him to start lifting the ball a little bit more because he's got power uh Yiner if we just kind of expect that he's going to do what he did last year over a full season and he's being in the lineup every day I think well he'll find some rhythm um and then Jake and Chaz kind of have to be you know Chaz has to be who he was Jake kind of has to revert back to who he used to be but they should have a fine lineup. Like, that's the bottom of the order. Your last two guys in the order are Jeremy Pena and, and Jake Myers. That's not atrocious. No, it's not. It's not. And obviously, you basically took, you know, not just last year, but for the last couple of years, you basically took an out at the end of the line, at the end of the order with Maldi. So hopefully that no matter what you do, it's better than what you had, and, and you upgrade the offense. Because I'm with you on Abreu. Look, I'm not looking for White Sox Abreu or Prime Abreu, but if you can give me the last two months of the way Abreu came back after they came out and said it was a back injury... That was the kind of guy that, that that plays in this lineup because he had more pop. He 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 had some big hits for this team down the stretch, starting with the last series in Arizona and kind of carrying it in a little bit to where if he can do that instead of being the Abreu we saw from the minute he put an Astros uniform on and you can improve the bottom of the lineup a little bit, you're in a pretty good spot. 713-780-ESPN. What are your favorite spring training storylines? What's your favorite or who are you watching in the spring in spring training as well? Not what's your favorite, but who are you watching the most this spring training? 713-780-ESPN. I'll give you my favorite sport storyline too. Uh, talking about blankers there. We'll talk about mine when we return. 713-780-3776. We're on Twitch, twitch.tv slash ESPN975. We're on YouTube. Just search ESPN Houston, uh, ESPN Houston. Great time to be had uh, there. It is a Friday show. Fridays are always the best. Mean text to close out the week. Uh, Justin Verlander. I got to ask an interesting question about Justin Verlander. Is he washed? We'll get to that a little bit later as well. But what's your favorite spring training storyline? Who's your favorite player to watch in spring training this year for whatever reason you want? 713-780-3776. Killer Bees, ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. Welcome back, Houston. These guys missed you over the last break. It's the Killer Bees, Joel Blank and Jeremy Branham, live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios on ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. What's your favorite spring training storyline? 713-780-3776. He's Blank on Branham. 3311, Branham's favorite storyline is will they resign Alex Bregman? No, it's not. I retired yeah, we're from talking, talking about, about Alex Bregman contract extension speaking of uh speaking of which though i saw i saw uh, the blue jays manager talk was it schneider or Schro- i don't know yeah, his name you're right. yeah. i think it's yeah, schneider uh-huh. uh, he was talking about uh george springer and they said that he's going to try to give george springer more dh at bats and give him more days off 
Last year he became a full-time right fielder and didn't didn't perform well either, by the way. Uh, and then this year they're going to give him more DH spots and more days off. Astros got that one right. Yeah, they did. There's no doubt about it. And I think that when we saw just the age alone when when he was about to enter free agency, you just kind of knew that he was looking to make up for lost time financially as well as the fact that when you factor in his age, whether we've seen more and more of to, to know that the trend was there, that the Astros are just, they're not going to do certain things. That was one that as much as I loved him as an Astro, was my favorite Astro while he was here, I just, I, I just didn't think, I was realistic from the jump, it just wasn't going to happen. Yeah, so uh, that, that's just something to, to put away there. Because a lot of people at the time didn't like when Springer left, and it looks like he got that one right. Seven two four eight. can't wait to see Jacob Melton play center field. I, I'm looking forward to that as well. Now, I will maybe maybe bust kill Brand on this a little bit. I don't feel like Jacob Melton's anywhere close to big league ready, though. Uh, he, pl- he played in 13 games above a ball last year. He played in 13 games yeah. with Corpus. He had 52 at-bats with Corpus. Uh, Dana Brown speaks glowingly about Jacob Melton. Find me a general manager that doesn't talk up their minor league prospects. But, I, I you know, I like his skill set. You know, he's got power. He's got speed. He probably strikes out a little bit too much. Um, but he needs a lot more seasoning. And, and in those 52 at-bats, he hit 250. Now, he had a good OPS, and you'll take that, but to me, he needs he needs about 150 double-A at-bats, mm-hmm. maybe even maybe even triple-A at-bats. I don't care too much about triple-A, uh, but he needs more seasoning, point blank, in a story. Well, no, and that's the thing, too, Jeremy. I mean, the minute that Dana Brown, the minute his name comes out of Dana Brown's mouth, everybody's eyes are watching. Now, suddenly, he's under a microscope, and there's crosshairs, and everybody's anticipating and almost expecting this kid's going to be a guy that immediately is going to be on the fringe and on the cusp of you know joining out joining this team and big things happening and the reality is is he's got a ways to go because you know you hear Melton you 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 hear Eric Getty and and Dana Brown has talked about both those guys and all of a sudden people the light bulb goes on the microscope comes out and it's like oh I got to watch that guy because he should be here pretty soon Eric Getty probably has a better chance than Melton but Melton's you know got some work to do yeah, yeah. I mean, Arigetti, I think, will be in the bigs before Melton. Now, mm-hmm. Arigetti probably needs some injuries, too. I don't think they're going to want to start his clock sooner, but he's he's closer. He's closer. I think Melton has the, the bigger upside. My favorite thing to watch, my favorite spring training storyline is really the middle relievers. Like, it's probably pretty boring, right? It's not going to move the needle. Well, talking about these middle relievers after uh, Josh Hader, Ryan Presley, and uh, Brian Abreu. And then you can lock up Rafael Montero into one of the bullpen spots too because his contract is so big but you got three other spots that you have a bunch of randoms that are fighting for and we got into some of Dana Brown yesterday and like what he's uh like a couple of the names that he mentioned but that to me is where the actual competition is I don't think that there's any competition in terms of uh like your starting lineup You're, you might see a competition for the final bench spot like does it go to Trey Cabbage does it go to Corey Jolks go Cougs does it go to John Singleton like that job can be won I think that's the only offensive job that can be won, though, because Kessinger's a backup, I think, on this team over uh, Hensley. So there's one spot offensively, and it's literally your last bench spot. But on the pitching staff, you have a bunch of guys, whether it's guys like Forrest Whitley who have come up in your system, a Souza who you claimed off of waivers last year, uh, a Dylan Coleman who you traded for. You have a lot of what I would call 4A pitchers mm-hmm. that are fighting for three jobs. And I- I'm excited to get to, to see those guys get actual work in spring training. See, I don't think those guys have the luxury of working on stuff because they're fighting for a job. So, like, I don't put a whole lot of weight on Frommer Valdez's spring training ERA but I do with the, all these middle relievers who are fighting for these openings. Yeah, you got to get outs. I mean, look, we talked about the fact that I think we're both in the camp of the – we liked what we saw to Souza 
last season. And in the short, you know, sample size that we saw in an Astros uniform, he looked like he could get people out. So I'm excited to see what he's going to do, hopefully starting his first full season with this club, because I think that at least from a veteran with experience that you can plug into the middle of that bullpen, I would have confidence in him if he can pick up where he left off a year ago. Coleman's a guy, if they went out and got him, he's going to get every opportunity to succeed. But I don't think they're also going to have you know, a really tough time if they have to just say he's not the guy right now because he just doesn't have it. And Whitley's a guy that I think, obviously, that everybody would love to see finally do something to where he could actually play a role and make a difference on the big league level. But he's the one guy that I think that really has to dial it in and show that he's got you know, control, and he's got a firm grasp of his situation. Yeah, he his stuff is good. I, I like his stuff, but he's never really put it together and had, like, these dominating years. Uh, I'm really interested to see what he looks like as a reliever. But three jobs, right? Because you, you're going to have a six-man rotation, assuming everybody's healthy, and, like, Verlander doesn't start on the injured list. Uh, you're going to have France and Urquidy that are either part of the six-man rotation. One of them's your long guy. You have Hayter. You have Presley. You have Abreu. You have Montero. So there's three jobs to fight for. If I had to pick today, I would go Coleman, Whitley, and Souza. But the other names that are there, you're talking about Blanco. Is Blanco going to be a starter or a reliever? If he's a reliever, I think he has a chance to make the team. Brandon Belak, like mm. he's like the veteran in the room. I think he has an okay chance to make the team. I really don't love that. I wouldn't be a huge fan of him making the team. Then you have like Seth Martinez is still around. Uh, Dubin's still around. So you have a, you have some options here. You have some some people fighting for these jobs. So that's the thing that I'm looking forward to when these games actually start happening. Yeah, I, I think that to me, because Seth Martinez has proven himself uh, for the most part that he, he can get big league hitters out and he can be a guy that can do a variety of different things for you, that to me, if Whitley doesn't make it, because I'm kind of leaning your direction that Whitley, this is, his, this is the real opportunity for him. But if he blows up in spring training or he looks like he just hasn't got it yet, then I would I would say Seth Martinez is the first guy that I would look at. He might even be the favorite right now. Like, if you had to put it the 26-man roster together right now, Martinez might have that that job because Whitley might have to prove some stuff, you know, because mm-hmm. he hasn't pitched at the big league level. And Martinez wasn't great last year, like an eight north of five, but you know that he's capable at least. Yeah. And it's not a role in the, rota- in the bullpen where you're like, these are leverage innings. These are give me three outs when you're down by three runs and keep us in the game. So I, I, I bet you, Seth, is the, if they had to decide right now is the favorite – but I'm hoping that, and maybe this is just me being like a super optimistic, that Whitley's stuff looks so good and he's dominant in spring that they just can't not give him the job. Yeah, I think if you're looking for a guy that just on stuff alone, Whitley and Blanco, to me, have the kind of major league stuff that I believe in uh, that, that could actually be in that role. But just but the other thing with Martinez is, is the fact that if you get into an extra inning game, he can give you multiple innings. He can soak yeah. up innings, and he can do some things that you need a pitcher to do, especially if you've used multiple pitchers to get to that point in a given game. So he's proven enough that I think that he'll be at the top of their list. That's a good point. Like, he can give you six outs. Yep. Like, he gives you a little bit of versatility in the pin, that, which, you know, if you're looking at the final spot of the bullpen, and you're in a six-man rotation, too, like – if you're in a five-man rotation, you have your long guy in France or Akiti. But if you're going six-man rotation, you have no long guy, and you might want somebody in that bullpen that can that can eat two to three innings. And Martinez can do that. And with them transitioning Whitley to a bullpen role, he's I think he's going to be a three-out guy. Seven one three seven eight zero three seven seven six. Somebody says Kennedy Corona is who Melton already is, but with more seasoning. I know that they put him on the forty-man to avoid being selected in the Rule Five draft. Um, his like. It's hard for me to put any weight 
in offensive numbers before double A. Like if you're tearing up single A, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep my eye on you. You're tearing up rookie ball, okay, I'm gonna keep my eye on you. But I really don't take prospects that seriously until they get to double A. And last year was Corona's first year in double A. He did all right. Two forty four average, like isn't fantastic, but a seven seventy three OPS. He had twenty home runs in hundred and eleven games. So it's like, okay, you got power. Uh, he stole thirty one bases. Okay, you have some speed. I think Corona's more outfield depth though than like surprise make the team. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And you know, the thing that again. The other guy that I was going to throw into the mix when we were talking about, like, you know, out of Dana Brown's mouth, or if Dana Brown makes a move, everybody's going to be watching. Everybody's going to be watching Cabbage. And to me, Cabbage is the the the, the quintessential 4A All-Star, right? He's a triple-A All-Star. He can pound the ball in triple-A, but there's a reason why the Angels were quick to get rid of him. I'm 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 going to kind of keep a, a side eye at least on, on him to see if he is what everybody is expecting him to be and see if there's any even – if he's capable of making a roster spot on this on this squad. Yeah, I'm interested to see him play, too, because um, he has that rare combination of power and speed. He strikes out a ton, yeah. and then he gives you position flexibility. Like, he can play the corner infielder spots, and he can play corner outfield spots. So if, like, he and John Singleton are offensive washes, well, now you have speed from Cabbage, and he can play four positions as opposed to just one. So that gives Cabbage the advantage, and, like, if, if those are the two guys battling – uh, or do you keep, like, another outfielder only in, in a Corey Jolks? Like, I think that position is going to be a fight. I, I think that is going to be an actual battle. One thing that kind of works against Cabbage and Jolks is that they both have minor league options. So mm-hmm. if it's, like, a tie between all three of these guys and one of them doesn't have options but the other two do, well, you're going to send down the two guys that have options. Yeah, and it's funny that Jolks a year ago was a guy that everybody was talking about, all the positives and the local kid and – and now you don't hear hear a single thing about him, but I would expect that yeah he went through a really tough spell there uh, after getting settled in uh, in the on the on the team last year. But I'm curious to see what he brings to the table. I know he's a little older, but I th- I would think that he's got as good a chance as anybody uh, of showing that he can still make this squad and, and be a guy off the bench that they can they can plug and play. Should be fun. Uh, I'm ready to see a spot as lineups, too. And I know that he'll, like, tinker and probably play with things, but I'm interested to see if he's any different than uh, than Dusty Baker uh, when it comes to those lineups. I would also I would also temper expectations. Remember Justin Dearden was, like, the darling of the uh, of the ball last year when it came to spring training. And like, oh, he should be the, the outfielder. And then he had a terrible season. Mm-hmm. He's been dropped from, like, every Astros top prospect list. The Astros left him unprotected in the Rule 5 draft and didn't get picked. So, like, that's the that's thing you sign. have to keep in mind, too. Yeah. Like, these guys might go nuts in 15 games in spring training, but they might not be on the team's radar whatsoever. Yeah, no, yeah. Again, it's funny how because of, like, the fan infatuation with with names that they don't they miss some of, like, the, the, the real details that show you. If all these teams are passing on a guy, there's probably a reason why. 713-780-ESPN. No argument in my mind. Jim Crane is the best owner in the city. I'll tell you why next. Killer Bees, ESPN 97.5, ESPN 92.5. The Killer Bees. What about the murderous Jays? We've got Joel, Jeremy, and Joe. That's three Jays. Coming to you live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios on ESPN 97.5. It's the Killer Bees and Murderous Jays. No argument in my mind 
that Jim Crane is the best owner in this city. Chris Baldwin, he, he does work for Paper City Mag, does a really good job. I enjoy reading his work. He, he's fantastic at what he does. He had some uh, some quotes from Jim Crane. I think this was kind of like a like a little media get together for the Houston Open that's coming up. But he also he got to um, he got to have a little exclusive with Jim Crane and a few of these quotes that again just. I think cement Jim Crane is the best owner in the city. If you disagree, seven one three seven eight zero three seven seven six. And of course, people before he signed Hater, he's cheap. He, you know, he's Taiwan. Doesn't open up his wallet. Blah 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 blah. Here are a few of the quotes from Jim Crane that that stood out to me. I'm not worried about the window. Uh, he made in a one-on-one interview with uh, Paper City. I made a statement the other day that as long as I'm here, the window's open. So I've got to live up to that. Okay, that sounds great. Uh, Words to me don't matter a whole lot. I need to see action. But I've seen action on that front. I've seen action where Jim Crane's willing to keep the window open, Blankers. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. You know, I think that if there was anybody that questioned anything about Jim Crane and his dedication towards winning and spending, this offseason should have put it to bed. And even, quite frankly, whether you agree with the moves and the length of the contracts and the way he went about it or not, what he did last year, too, because he committed more than most on both Montero and Abreu and then, you know, believed that it was the right commitment on a, a pretty pretty substantial one-year deal for, for Brantley. And now coming out of that, no one saw the Hater deal coming. And when he locked up Hater, it basically should have shut a whole bunch of people up and told a lot of people, hey, I'm willing to do whatever's necessary if I feel, and it's his choice, if he feels like it's going to help this team get over the hump and win another one or compete for another one. So you got to love that. Yeah, I love that quote. And then you're like, let's keep the window open. Obviously, everybody wants to do that. Now, I don't think keeping the window open necessarily means that you're signing free agents each and every year. Uh, keeping the window open means that you're continuing to add on to a team that's really good. And that can come from a variety of different ways. It could come in free agency, like with Hayter. Uh, it could come with Yonder Diaz, who came up through the minor league system after he was traded for. It could be Jeremy Pena, you know, a guy that you drafted that wasn't like this massive uh, top prospect, can't miss guy, and then all of a sudden, and he's your everyday shortstop and is doing some pretty good things, uh, whether it's coming through in the clutch in the World Series a couple of years ago in the playoffs a couple of years ago or winning a gold glove, playing some really good defense. So there's multiple ways to keep that window open. It doesn't have to be only uh, free agency. Another quote that I like from him, uh, extending Altuve was big. He's a main guy who can still play well, and getting him into the Hall of Fame would be a big deal for us. So we've got to keep him around until he retires. You know, the contract that they just signed with Altuve I think is a big indicator of that. But also, like, we, we kicked around the idea. Is this Jose Altuve's last contract? I think there's a decent chance, 50-50 chance, maybe 60-40 chance, that it's not his final contract, mm-hmm. that he, he's going to play beyond the five-year extension that he signed. And hearing this quote, and maybe I'm reading too much into it, you tell me if I am, this, this means to me that, you know, they're going to make sure he's here even if he plays beyond this current extension. Well, there's no doubt about it. They even, they even basically said as much when they tweeted out the announcement that he's going to you know, be a, an Astro for life or however they worded it when they put that out there. But, you know, just based on when we were calculating what he's got to do and the amount of time it's going to take to get to the hits that he wants to get to and some of the milestones, he's probably got one more short, short-term short deal in him based on where he wants to be individually, regardless of how this team performs uh, as a whole for the next for the length of his contract. And so I, I, I'm with you. I think it's probably more than 60-40. I think that there's probably a 70% chance that he's got, he's going to need one more contract because he's going to want to get to that milestone of three thousand hits, and he's probably going to be a little short when this thing expires. 
One of the uh, Crane talked about the finances a little bit. Like owners are never going to open up their books, uh, but he said, "Listen, you've got twenty-two thousand season tickets sold, which I believe is a Houston Astros record. Uh, that's a lot of season tickets. I always tell people the fans are the ones paying the bill. I've just got to administrate it properly, so I take it very seriously. Without the sponsors and the fans, we wouldn't be where we're at. We've got to always remember those people first. I tell the players uh, they are paying. The, the fans are paying for it, not me." Look, I feel like this is how owners should operate. Like, if you're making lots of money, like, and again, like, yeah, this is us putting, you know, getting into other people's wallets and other people's pockets. But if I was a sports owner, I, I would take like a, you know, X amount of money per year profit. And I know you owe it to your co-owners and stuff like that, too. But the money you're bringing in, I feel like, is money that you should be spending on the team. And, again, that doesn't always mean through free agency. It might mean coaching staff. It might mean whatever you're doing in research and development to make sure that's the absolute best. Uh, Crane's talking about, you know, building kind of a Wrigleyville around Minute Maid Park. Like, that's part of, like, putting money back into the team. So, like, that's where I'm at. You should always be putting the money that you're making back into the team. Mm -hmm. And, quite frankly, I think that he does. Yeah, no, I think, and look, his big picture vision, like you mentioned, building that whole community around the stadium is going to be an, an external money maker that's going to help him and give him more flexibility and the ability to take more chances or go out farther past the, the, the tax line simply because of the fact that he knows whether it's team generated or not. There's going to be revenue opportunities. But when it comes down to the sponsors and the fans, the other thing that I would put into that mix that he forgot about, and he is deeply invested in it now, is that TV deal. And that TV deal and that TV network and that that partnership with Tillman is going to is going to play a lot too into the fact that if it if it does well if it takes off then he's got an extra revenue stream in his back pocket if it doesn't not that it's going to limit him but it could be it could be an issue that he's got to pay attention to and that's why when you have that but you also have another backup plan with building that whole area around the stadium and building it out he's doing things for the big picture in the long term every step of the way while he's doing things for the year to year. And that's what you really have to appreciate as a fan because a lot of owners don't have that kind of forward thinking. No, yeah, I'm curious to see how that whole TV thing plays out too um, because, like, currently they're operating with the same, like, structure that they did previously whenever it was uh, pre-Shin. Mm-hmm. Um, but do they start selling, like, subscriptions? Like, can you start getting it all a card, like, in the future? But I think right now they're tied into their um, – into the contracts that they have with the providers. But in the future, can they go a la carte? Can they get $13 a month to, to watch the Astros and Rockets uh, specifically through an app? I think that they will, and I think yeah. that the business will boom uh, when it comes to that. Streaming is going to be a big deal in, in all the deals, nationally, locally, the league deals. It, it's going to play a big role. And then from, from Til- just strictly locally here with Tillman and with Crane, the bigger thing was that network was struggling mightily, and part of it was because they had to play, pay exorbitant fees to the teams just to get the rights to do the games. And now you would think that both owners in the short term are, are taking that off the table so that the the, uh, the network can get a, a little bit of, of, a, of a revenue stream going and then they'll adjust accordingly. But, you know, at least from the standpoint of them even putting their money and their, their, their commitment into that network, it shows you their commitment to being here and trying to make this thing work long term with profitability. I, I do think cash in hand, it hurts you, though, short term. Like, because you mentioned these networks are giving them this, you know, lump sum of yep. money, which is massive. And now that, you know, they have their own rights and they, there's like 
it, it, it takes away the restrictions of what they can earn through sponsors and ads and things like that, but that takes time to build. I, I think that they do take a hit short term, uh, but long term it could have major like success and rewards. Uh, the final one was about – Crane was asked about like contract extensions with players. Uh, I, I think the reporters are like, well, they've got to extend this guy, question mark. I mean, listen, there's a time for everything. We focus on one thing at a time and try to knock them out as we see the priority. You know you're not going to always be able to sign everyone because your payroll would be so high you'd be broke. So we've prioritized things, and we think we made good decisions when we make them. You're always under a lot of scrutiny, but I'm not worried about the window. You look at the big three that left. We, we talked about Springer a moment ago. Now, George Springer is no longer a center fielder. People always in, in Houston, well, you know, you never were able to replace uh, George Springer in center field. He's not even a center fielder anymore. If George Springer was still on this team, you would still be looking for a center fielder because he can't play center field anymore. He can only play right field. And also, he's getting days off and is going to DH more this year. And also, he had a 732 OPS last year. He was a very average corner outfielder. He makes $25 million a year. That's a win for me. Carlos Correa, he's had all these injuries. He's not really been a good offensive player since he's left Houston. $33.3 million. Garrett Cole is the best of the three that have left. He's still pitching at a very, very high level. He makes $36 million. Two of those three are no-brainers, easy decisions. Mm-hmm. Let them walk. Garrett Cole, like you would love to have him back, and I, I would take Garrett Cole back on the contract he's on, but I, it was never realistic for the Astros. If you combine those three players' salaries, it's $94.3 million. Yeah, and the thing is, is that it was almost a blessing. They were never in the discussion because he wanted to be a Yankee. That's where he had it had his heart set on going maybe ever since he was a kid but you could tell from the jump he was ready to go to New York and it was a blessing because the other two the fans were really uh, I mean their heartstrings were firmly attached to those two guys but it just wasn't the right move from an organization organizational standpoint a lot of owners would have caved in a lot of owners would have felt that kind of pressure and decided now nah, we, we've got to do this the fans love these guys the ability to make smart business decisions and baseball decisions while also still paying close attention to the fans is the beauty of Jim Crane as well. And that's why you really got to appreciate him because it is the reality that this window is staying open because of it. Seven one three seven eight zero espn ESPN YouTube. Matt says Hannah McNair. Would you have Hannah McNair higher on your owner list than... Than uh, Jim Crane? No, she gets honorable mention extra credit, extra special extra credit because of the fact that Cal was going to be rock bottom dead last and was doing a whole lot that that turned everybody the wrong direction towards the Texans. And maybe you, some people would like to call it coincidence. I don't. I think that she was the cooler head in the room that once she was brought into the picture and had a, had a voice, it seems like everything started to turn in the right direction. So she definitely gets credit for turning what looked like a dumpster fire into a whole lot better ownership situation with the Texans. Yeah, it does seem like she is... Uh... She's kind of the the person behind Cal McNair. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not 100% sure, and she's not the owner. Janice is the owner, and she's alive and she's well, according to the And courts. she doesn't need any tests to prove it. Yeah, she's alive and she is well. 713-780-ESPN, HRMP listener line, 713-780-3776. I don't know if you saw the big news, but C.J. Stroud, uh, Stroud keeps winning. He won the Cactus Jack softball MVP yesterday, and I'm not kidding when I tell you this. I think it's a big deal. I'll tell you why. Next, it's the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. Hey, before we go to the break, tell you about my good friend Doc Linville. Doc Linville is a game changer, people. He's a game changer in the game of life because if you've lost your hair, you've got thinning spots, bald spots, you don't think there's anything you can do about it. You've either tried or don't want to try the sprays and the creams and the foams that just mask the problem. 
and you've basically thrown up your hands and given up, you don't have to. All you got to do is get with Doc Linville and his staff. And right now, as a listener to ESPN 97.5, you can do that for free. No commitment, no signing on the dotted line, no cash out of pocket. You can figure out if the Neograph procedure is right for you. The Neograph procedure is that game changer you've been looking for. I did it. I couldn't be happier with it. I saw the results almost immediately and also have seen them since. And you can too. Check them out today. Go to 975hair.com. Set up a consultation. It's absolutely free, like I said. And you can ask questions, get answers, and see if it's an alternative that you might be willing to consider. For those that have, like me, unbelievable results. And what Doc told me that I wasn't aware of was 95% of the follicles he's going to move are going to stay and grow with and be with you for the long haul, not go anywhere. And the follicles he's going to move are going from a spot that are you're never going to lose your hair. What I was not aware of was the fact that no matter how bald you go on top or lose your hairline in front, you never lose the hair on the sides in the back of your head. He takes some of those follicles, moves them where you need them, and you see the results immediately. But also, when they get stronger and longer and you know they're not going anywhere, you'll see a whole heck of a lot of results, like the final results in about nine months. Phenomenal, phenomenal things going on at Doc Linville's office. Tell him I sent you by, but check him out today. Go to 975hair.com. Welcome back, Houston. These guys missed you over the last break. It's the Killer Bees, Joel Blank and Jeremy Branham, live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios on ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. He's Blank, I'm Branham. We are the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5, ESPN 92.5. If you've been living under a rock lately, uh, you might have known that uh, the Cactus Jack celebrity softball game was yesterday. Minute made part. It was a who's who of everybody in Houston. Bagwell was there. Warren Moon was there. Um, participant was there. You know who that is participant. Nope. Yeah, he's. A, I think he's like a rapper or something. He was uh, in Cron.com. There was a. I'm joking. There was a list of Houston Astros. There was like oh, Brantley was there. Payne was that. there. Bregman was there. Lance was there, and there was some rando there. And instead of like finding out who the guy was, they just listed him I as participant. That. Like they just listed him who as was it? I mean, was it somebody? Uh, somebody. Uh, somebody in the comments said who he thought it was, but I had never heard of the name. And then I Googled him and stuff, uh-huh. and I couldn't. I couldn't find him. Huh. I couldn't find out. I'll be honest with you. I wasn't living under a rock, but I had no idea that that game was going on last night. And I was curious, like, was it open to the public? Did they try and sell tickets? I think they sold tickets. Huh? Yeah, I think they sold tickets. I didn't, um, I, I didn't, I saw the list of participants yesterday morning. So like, I knew the game was happening, but I wasn't going to go. But uh, CJ Stroud was, is your MVP. Mm -hmm. CJ Stroud won the MVP. He hit a homer in the game. He doubled in the game. He's just he's a winner. He, he's and I know that I've mocked C.J. Stroud playing in these games, and I guess it's not so much mock. I really don't want him to. Like, would I want C.J. Stroud playing in the Cactus Jack softball game yesterday? Yes or no? Strictly for me, no, I don't. Like, I, I care about the Texans. I don't care about his side of the celebrity softball game. Say, is the is the celebrity game tonight or tomorrow? It for the All-Star is game. Friday night. It should be tonight. So if it's tonight, like, I don't I don't want Stroud playing in that game. Like, I'd rather him not play than play. So, like, I am sincere when I say that. That said, if he's going to play, I want him to win the darn thing. And why this actually matters to me, 
is like multiple fronts. But the first one is CJ Stroud has that weird like competitor tick where like you see like it's kind of freaky, right? Like we saw it in Kobe Bryant. Where like Kobe Bryant has this weird mm-hmm. like mental thing where he's just going to be a son of a gun and be a winner, right? Like he's going to figure out a way to have success. I think Nick Saban's kind of the same way. Nick Saban has this really weird mental thing where he's going to figure out how to be super successful and he's going to block out things in his life that are like very normal to all of us in order to be, you know, a winner. And I think it's borderline psychotic. And I'm seeing the same stuff with, with CJ Stroud. We're like it could be something as stupid as a celebrity softball game. It could be something as as stupid as a celebrity all-star game that he's playing in tonight for the NBA All-Star facility uh, festivities. But CJ Stroud's a competitor and he wants to win. And my favorite thing about CJ Stroud, quite frankly, is his mentality. Jeremy, he's been training for this all year. He's so that's crazy. I mean, because of the fact that we see him every pregame and everybody's going, is he shooting a basketball pregame? Is he, you know, doing a, like multiple sport training before he on the field before he warms up for an NFL game? I mean, he was talking on a, on a podcast the other day about how he dropped forty on um, the the, the Hawkes. Hawkes, Jaime Hawkes from yeah. from the Heat that played at UCLA and. It's like, you know what? You're right. When he talks about he's got that dog in him, but it's a good comparison to Kobe. Now, the one thing that I would say is, is that because I've lived part of this with some of the women that he's been just pictured with, hopefully, around him, the one thing I don't want him to get caught up in is the Kardashian curse or Amber Rose. Oh, wait, time out, time out. Did you say that intentionally? What do you mean? Did you just say that last name intentionally, Joel? What name? Amber said, Rose? Yeah, I think he said it. He, he said who he was going home with. So, like, I think he saw it. Okay. Yeah. I was making sure. I thought I misheard you there. I thought you were just rattling names. That's my bad. Sorry. You saw him, you saw him go home with Amber Rose last night, Okay. Right? Yeah. Right? Okay. That's what I was confused. Sorry. My yeah. bad. Yeah. <laughs> my bad. I, 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 I thought mean, it was a coincidence. I've seen both of the, I've seen one of the Kardashians and Amber Rose as guests in the Toyota Center to a guy that Really had a lot of things go negatively during those times. I don't need that now because I want that competitive <laughs> dog, C.J. Stroud, trying to win everything. And I'm with you. I don't want him playing in the celebrity game tonight. Right. I don't mind softball if he's in batting practice and taking big swings and trying to hit home runs. But I don't want him. Look, I'm not even saying it. I just don't want him to be out there a whole lot. No. I don't want him MVP tonight. Let me put it that way. This this shows the mentality, though. Like, And, again, I think it's kind of a mental thing whenever you talk about these elite you know, guys in their field that have tremendous amount of success. In fact, I I think you have to be borderline crazy in order to have that level of competition, that level of desire. Um, And and those were just a few of the names that that stick out to me. And and, and winning the Cactus Jack, you know, Mankind, Dude Love, Celebrity Softball Game MVP is the only only one example of where we've seen this. Like, we've seen it in a bunch of different aspects of life. Here is whenever he was doing the Media Row stuff the other day, uh, last week ahead of the Super Bowl, he was on with Kay Adams. And Kay Adams, like, she had a couch, her side, and then she had the guest side where they had a couch, and in the middle they had, like, you know, a centerpiece, and the centerpiece was actually the Lombardi Trophy. And here was the conversation with Stroud and Kay Adams around the Lombardi Trophy. You guys, this is an actual Lombardi Trophy, CJ. I, I don't want to you know. look at it yet. What? I'm not going to look at You're it. You're not going to look at it? Why? Because I want my own, and I don't want to. This is the actual one that will be given out to either the Niners or the Chiefs. You don't want to look at it. Nope. I want my own. <laughs> you won't even make eye contact with it. I find that fascinating. <laughs> really? Everybody else is, like, taking selfies with it. No, why? Um, Can you explain that a little better so I, so I get it? I don't know. I just feel like 
I want to put my eyes on the one that I want to win, you know. So that's already up for grabs from two other teams. And, you know, I'm not available in those games. Those aren't my team. That's not my team. So, you know, I'd rather just wait uh, next year for mine. I love this mentality, and I hope it happens. And you guys are well on your way. You have leadership and all the right things and all the right stuff and all the right places. That's my favorite thing about C.J. Stroud. He has a lot of attributes. My favorite attribute is his mentality, is his mindset. It's like he, he's going to refuse to lose. He's going to refuse mm-hmm. to fail. And I think he's borderline psychotic. I really do. I think he's borderline psychotic. He has to be the best in a softball game. He's, tr- he's talking trash to Micah Parsons about a celebrity basketball game. He, he refuses to even – it's not even touch. Like a lot of people won't touch the trophy. He won't even look – at the trophy. The dude is a freak, and I love it. I love it, too, because here's the thing, Jeremy, and this might be a hot take, but the only one that I've ever seen have that mentality for, like, I won't say 24-7, 365, but cl- as close to it is Kobe. You're right. You're absolutely right. Because Jordan, when the season was over, yeah, he, had the, he loved basketball. He loved golf. He loved baseball for a while. He loved cigars. He loved going out. He did a whole lot of stuff, and Kobe seemed to always be dialed in. He was working with Dream here in Houston and trying to develop new moves. He was constantly in the lab, as he put in the gym, and lifting weights and doing all those things. And a lot of it, he said, was emulating and getting the same trainer and doing the same things as Jordan did. But Jordan definitely took time off and away from it, where Kobe was always in that mindset. And you do have to love it because it's a rarity these days. I mean, look. There, there were so many guys that the minute the, the, the buzzer went off on the last game that they played, they didn't pick up another ball or do something else with their sport until the next team-organized activity or the rest, in, in the case of some of the guys that I used to work with, it might be until the next training camp started. So the fact that he seemingly has that is just another positive thing and why you love this kid being associated with your team and the quarterback. Yeah. It makes it easier to root for. Just yep. you know, he has that dog in him. I wish he wasn't playing in these games. But if he's going to play in these games, be a freak and be the guy that refuses to lose. Seven one three seven eight zero ESPN. We'll be thinking of CJ Stroud tonight too. By the way, I'll be thinking about having him sit down and not play. Yeah, yeah. I hope he doesn't get many minutes. Don't try and dunk. <laughs> I think him and Parsons are going to go at it. Actually, though. You know what? Remember this. This goes back to when um, uh, what what Miles Garrett played in the game and then he had to dunk on try to dunk on every play and things like that. every time if I was a, a Browns executive for sure but anybody that's a Browns I'd be like I was holding my breath going oh my god he's gonna sprain an ankle <laughs> I'm right there with you uh 713-780-3776 CJ Stroud winning the Cactus Jack softball MVP big deal for you uh let's reevaluate NBA free agency would the Rockets be better off this day going forward if they didn't have the offseason that they had. 713-780-3776. Killer B's ESPN 97.5, ESPN 92.5.